All right, we're in uh, chapter 10 of Acts, and last week we finished up chapter 9 and uh, started the beginning of chapter 10, and really what we saw was that Peter was, um, it said that he went here and there, um, and uh, as he was apparently going to visit other churches, it said he went to visit the saints in a town called Luda, uh, which is in Judea, so it seems like so far Peter is kind of maybe uh, exploring the area of Judea and Samaria, where God has spread the gospel. Remember, he said, I want you to be witnesses of mine. Jesus said this in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. And so right now, we're still kind of in Israel, and not too far away, um, just west of Jerusalem. He visits a, a town and visits the saints there, is what it said. And while he was there, he healed a paralytic man. Uh, about 30 miles away, in, uh, actually maybe not even that far, was um, a town called Joppa. And in Joppa, some disciples gathered to meet, and uh, a woman fell ill, and she died. Um, and so the disciples, instead of burying her, asked Peter to come to heal her, and he did. And so he told her to, to get up, and she did, and she was brought back to life. And we see this kind of amazing event, and so then he was asked to stay in Joppa, so he's just kind of going from one town to another. He just kind of goes where uh, the Spirit leads. And so sometimes we think like the Spirit leading us is, uh, is maybe impressions that we get. And the Lord can definitely speak that way. But sometimes it's just somebody saying, hey, can you come? We need help. And so he did. <laughs> and so he went to Joppa. And then the next thing we saw was that, um, that while he's in Joppa, uh, a man named Cornelius, he was a centurion, a Roman soldier, uh, in Caesarea, which is about 30 or 40 miles uh, up the coast of the Mediterranean Sea, just north of Joppa. Um, he gets a vision, and, and in that vision, an angel says, I want you to go and send men to bring back this man named Peter, uh, this, this Simon, um, to come to see you. And that's where we saw that Cornelius sent these men out to go get Peter. And that's, that's where we pick it up today. And what we're going to pick up is, is actually pretty foundational for a couple things to understand. It's really, when I teach on different areas in Scripture, especially um, some teachings that Paul has in 1 Corinthians and Romans, when he talks about the conscience, he always talks about this one particular idea. And I always go back to these verses to kind of see, like, well, what did God, how did God first set this up? So it's really, you know, it's one of these times that there's several things that are kind of put into this portion of Scripture it makes chapter 10 kind of a go-to chapter for, for several different reasons. And uh, this one area is an area of food and eating. Um, and just to so maybe kind of get our heads wrapped around that idea, um, I think sometimes when we read uh, people, you know, the Jews having an objection to food, uh, sometimes we don't see, you know, what's, the, what's kind of the big idea. But everyone probably has a food objection. Is there some food that you, will, you just prefer not to eat? Does everyone have that? Does anyone, can anyone say, like, I'll eat anything? Tofu. Tofu is your, tofu is your, your food? Okay. You won't eat it. Okay. So we've all got our thing, right? And somebody is like, what's the big deal with tofu? You know, it's uh, <laughs> mayonnaise. That's what's gross. And someone's like, I love mayonnaise. Both sides of my bread. You know, the more mayonnaise, the better. You know, so you've got just different things that, that you object or even in the way that, that you eat it, right? I guess if we say mayonnaise, like, I like mayonnaise on sandwiches, but if someone dipped their french fries in mayonnaise, I'm kind of like, whoa, you went a little too far there, right? Um, but that's what, you know, culturally, that's just some people eat their french fries that way. So culturally, sometimes this is, we weren't brought up that way, but there's certain foods that probably 
Um, maybe turn us off. Now, is there a food that if you saw somebody eating, you're just like, I just I have to leave the room? Oysters. Oysters. <laughs> Look at you guys. Just like, it's this. So, so if you were if you were with a friend and and uh, he or she ordered oysters, you'd be like, I'm I'm sorry, I just you can fit. Okay. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm still puzzled by oysters. Every time I have them, I'm like, what's the big deal? You know, I'm like, it's like a dare every time. Um, but that's just for me. The raw oysters. The raw raw oysters. So anyway, so I, I can. Okay. All right. We won't, we won't talk about it, right? See, I see how see how it's affecting you, right? So, so there are, yeah, so you can just kind of put in your head that there's a food that you're like, oh, you know, if somebody ordered it or you're like, you know, invited over to dinner and they said, hey, we're having this, you're like, oh, great, you know, you try to be like, you know, want to be thankful for whatever it is that you're given, but there's just certain things that, that for whatever reason you just don't like and so you never order and then uh, when you have to be put in that situation to eat it, it's kind of like, whew, you know, deep breath, having to take a swallow. We'll kind of get to that in a second. Um, bec- what's that? Nobody's going to make you eat an oyster? So, <laughs> if you need to go get some water, you can go get some water. And just, you know, take a, I'm totally fine. Take a break. Take a breather. Um, look outside. <laughs> so um, so we'll, we'll, we'll get to this idea about food in a second. But we, you know, just, just to know that, that you know, we, even we deal with, with this thing. We'll, we'll say why Peter has this thing in, in a second. So uh, verse 9 in chapter 10 We read the next day as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. Okay, so the they that are coming were, who who was that? You guys remember from last week? Who did Cornelius send? Right, two servants and one soldier to go to go with him to on this mission. So it's. It's it's kind of an important important deal for him that he brings back this this Peter and brings him back safely. So as they were approaching the city, so it's again thirty miles. Um, Cornelius got his vision about three o'clock in the afternoon. We don't know when he sent them, but it's the next day, the sixth hour. Do you guys remember what the sixth hour was? You guys are good. Yeah. So uh, you know, six hours always at six a.m. plus whatever it is. So it's noon. So from that late afternoon to almost before noon, they're approaching. The city, so they've kind of been pushing themselves uh, to make it make it down there, and we don't know how they traveled, whether it was on horseback or whether it was, uh, you know, on foot. Foot would be more of a more of a push, um, but they're making it there the next day. Meanwhile, Peter's praying around noon. Um, he's up on the housetop, and so a lot of the houses that were built in those days had flat roofs and had openings to go out. And it was a, time, a place where people could go. They could either eat or spend time up there um, because of, you know, uh, just the moderate temperatures. It was a kind of a nice place to eat and to, to spend time kind of, you know, out there. It was also by the sea. So this might have actually been a nice place. If you've ever, you know, been to a rooftop by the sea, it's kind of like a, this is a nice place. It'd be a great place to go pray. So I don't know if Peter's thinking about that, but he's, he's there at that time. Um, and uh, verse um, 10 says, He became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing, uh, preparing it, the meal, he fell into a trance. He saw the heavens open and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. 
In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him again a second time, What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times, and the thing was taken up at once to heaven. Okay, so it says Peter was hungry, right? It's about noontime, when, and people were preparing a meal, sometimes just preparing a meal. Knowing that makes you even more hungry. And so he's praying. Maybe it's a comforting factor that, you know, Peter was hungry, and sometimes, you know, dealing with those, some of those distractions as well. And it's kind of fitting because what we see that what he has this vision of actually appeals to his sense of hunger. It says he fell into a trance. The word's only used a couple times in Scripture. Usually it says that he has a a vision. But it says he had a trance, and the word is ecstasis, which is uh, from the word uh, where we get ecstasy. Um, And it means some sort of amazement or astonishment. So as he is praying on this rooftop um, by the sea, midday sun, um, that he's starting to get hungry, and all of a sudden this amazement or astonishment overtakes him. And he gets this vision of something. He sees something in the air. What was it that he saw? Usually, what came out of heaven? They see a, a vision, or it's an angel or something. You know, yeah, t- God or representative of God. Yes. This obviously was some, some type of unclean animal to the Jews that came down on this tree. Okay. Yeah, so the first thing he sees is he sees like the heavens opening, right? So as, and he, he says it's a trance, it's kind of amazement, like I can't explain it, but all of a sudden the heavens open and something comes out of it. A giant sheet, it's a linen sheet, and it's sometimes used for the word for a sail. So we, we're getting this kind of big, massive idea that if it could fill a, a boat sail, um, that it's, it's got all these things on it. Um, in a sense, also, probably the, the full animal itself um, and in that was all of these types of animals. And so you kind of get from Peter's response what these animals were. Um, but specifically it says all types of animals, reptiles, and birds of the air. Now you hit it on the head that um, for Peter, because he, he says in his response that I, you know, I'm not to eat anything common or unclean. So I think it would be helpful for us to go to um, where in the Old Testament it, uh, it describes these animals. Um, if we had a visual, I usually, when I, when I teach this, there's a picture of, of all these different animals. And even like seeing some of the animals. But as we read it, um, if you could imagine eating some of these animals, um, if you were like, you know, yes, that sounds delicious. Or, um, no, that does not sound, sounds revolting. Are you saying any animal? Uh, it depends on what kind of what you're talking about. But I mean, any per, any Jew could eat a certain a type of animal fine without yeah with uh, for their meal. If it was for Passover, it had to be a certain type, and it did have to be offered up. And then they did get sometimes, depending on the sacrifice, sometimes they received back um, the food that they were supposed to eat. Like Passover would have been would have been one of them. Um, so that is true um, for certain. For certain ceremonies, they, they would have had that. But these, some of these animals were forbidden. So go, if you go to Leviticus chapter 11, um, 
And it's really in two places, kind of interesting. So we might flip to the other place. It's repetitive, but it's kind of where they're couched in uh, the context is, is, is applicable in, in, in two senses. So uh, Leviticus 11, uh, verses uh, 1 through 24. And I'll say at the beginning, uh, verse 1, he uh, says, And the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying to them, Speak to the people of Israel, saying, These are the living things that you may eat among all the animals that are on the earth. Whatever parts the hoof and is cloven-footed and chews the cud among the animals, you may eat. Nevertheless, among those that chew the cud or part the hoof, you shall not eat. The camel, because it chews the cud but does not part the hoof, is unclean to you. And the rock badger, because it chews the cud but does not part the hoof, is unclean to you. And the hare, because it chews the cud but does not part the hoof is unclean to you, and the pig, and so on and so on. Verse 8, you shall not eat any of their flesh, and you shall not touch their carcasses. They are unclean to you. These you may eat of all that are in the waters, everything in the waters that has fins and scales, whether in the seas or in the rivers you may eat. But anything in the seas or the rivers does not have fins or scales of the swarming creatures in the waters and in the living creatures that are in the waters. It is detestable to you. That would be like shrimp and lobster. Sorry. Oysters. It's not even a food source. It's not even a food source. You shall regard them as detestable, and you shall not eat any of their flesh, and you shall detest their carcasses. Everything in the waters that does not have fins and scales is detestable to you. And these you shall detest among the birds. They shall not be eaten. They are detestable. The eagle, the bearded vulture, the black vulture, the kite, the falcon of any kind, every raven of any kind, the ostrich, the nighthawk, the seagull, the hawk, the little owl, the cormorant, the short-eared owl, the barn owl, the tawny owl, the carrion vulture, the stork, the heron of any kind, the hoopoe, and the bat. All winged insects that go on all fours are detestable to you. Um, verse 22, of them you may eat the locust of any kind, the bald locust, the cricket, the grasshopper, but all other winged in- insects that have four feet are detestable to you. So there's some that are allowable and some that are like, you shall not eat. And he continues, and by these, verse 24, you shall become unclean. Whoever touches their carcass shall be unclean until the evening. And whoever carries any part of their carcass shall wash his clothes. Every animal... Uh, you know, so anyway, that, that's that. And then verse 29, and these are unclean to you among the swarming things. Um, he talks about the gecko, the lizard, and all of those other things, and talks about them being um, uh, unclean. You have to kill this animal. You can't find the animal that's just died. Um, and so otherwise it is unclean. But the big thing um, is that you are unclean because of it. Verse 44, for I am the Lord your God, Consecrate yourselves, therefore, and be holy, for I am holy. You shall not defile yourselves with any swarming thing that crawls on the ground, for I am the Lord who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. You shall therefore be holy, for I am holy. So this is kind of the the idea, and uh, it goes on in other chapters. um, God kind of speaks, like, what are things that make you unclean? Uh, If you become unclean, how can you become clean? But... By partaking in these certain foods, you therefore are unclean and unholy. And then you have to go and you have to consecrate yourself and make yourself holy. Um, if you go to Deuteronomy, and it's, it's almost the same li- uh, list, but Deuteronomy 14. Um, 
The beginning of that, he says, You are the sons of the Lord your God. You shall not cut yourselves or make any baldness on your foreheads for the dead. For you are a people holy to the Lord, and the Lord has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the earth. And you shall not eat any abomination. And then he goes and he, he talks about the things that you can eat, the ox, the sheep, the goat, the deer, the gazelle, the wild goat, the antelope, uh, mountain sheep. And then goes and speaks about all the things that you should not eat. And they, they cover the things that we talked about in Leviticus. Um, so that, that was kind of laid out for them. And there's probably things that you're like, I don't know, would you eat a vulture? They kind of eat a bunch of things that you don't want, you know, want to eat. So you're like, you know, those are probably probably fine. There's probably foods that are in this list that you don't like anyway. But there's probably foods on this list um, that you're like, I ate that this morning, right? Um, yeah, the, the rock badger. Um, no, uh, so they, uh, yeah. So, so some, of, uh, some of those things that you know, we don't see as unclean, um, but they weren't something that were taboo to you, that you should stay away from. And if you grew up your whole uh, childhood um, hearing that, no, you should not eat it, if you eat it, it makes you unclean, you just stay away from it. <clears throat> like, don't put something in the light socket because it will hurt you, right? You could be the one who's like, oh, okay, and stay away from that. And then you have a fear of light sockets. Um, <clears throat> or you could be the person that, like, I'm going to try it out. Let's see what happens when you put a paperclip in, uh, in an outlet. What's that? You were one of those. <laughs> no. I did have a student the other day that did that, and I was like, what were you thinking? Like, sparks were shooting out. <laughs> anyway, he's like, I don't know. <laughs> I, yeah, it's cool. That's another story. That's another story. <laughs> Um, there are plenty of YouTube videos that I know these kids watch that you can just see other people doing these things, but they're like, I need to still try it out myself. And uh, same, same result, same result, especially with electricity. But you can see, so somewhat off topic. But it's the same thing where, you know, sometimes you know, if you're told something, don't stay away, right? And the Jew would just stay away from that because it meant it had these huge implications. It had their whole status about how they related before God. And when that's taken up as a society, Right then, those things are um, uh, even compounded. Right, it's not like you go to the local market and and buy pig. Like there would be no pig in a Jewish market because that's detestable to them and every surrounding Jewish town. <clears throat> so um, that is, you know, then Peter sees a sheet of all these things and he says, "Eat it." Right. So if you if God put in a sheet all of those things that you like don't prefer that you actually kind of turn your stomach a little bit, and he says, I want you to eat this. Like, how would you respond? You can just... <laughs> if he said, eat oysters. I want, like, like, all oysters, a pile of oysters. He says, Eric, eat them, right? And you... <laughs> says, all kinds of animals, yeah. But that's, that's kind of like, imagine. And, and so for Peter, right, what, what, how did Peter respond? Yeah, by no means. Uh, no way, God, right? Uh, right? He sees this, he's again, he's like vision, astonishment, like what is that? And why are those animals there? And then he hears a voice that says, kill them and eat them. And he's like, oh, no, no, right? I can't eat them, right? And he, and he appeals to <clears throat> the fact that, right, he says, I've never eaten anything that's common or unclean. Now, we just read in the Old Testament that those animals were unclean, right? And we read also in the Old Testament that if you ate of those things, that they made you unclean. <clears throat> you 
Okay, unholy. And I'll get to that word um, because it's kind of an interesting, interesting uh, uh, phrase. The, the word is actually um, uh, koinos. Um, and so the Greek that, when, when you read the Greek in the Old, uh, sorry, in the New Testament, it's Koine Greek, which is common Greek. It was the Greek that was spoken, um, that it wasn't a formal version of Greek. It was kind of like the street, street Greek, I guess. You know, it'd be like, uh, if people spoke in, uh, Shakespearean English, you know, that would be more like formal. And then the common language that most people spoke, um, was kind of common, you know, not, not set apart, right? It was just like what everybody kind of spoke. So, um, it's that same word. But how it's translated in, uh, in the New Testament in other places, um, can also be, let's see, because I have this a little bit later, is uh, defile. And we'll get to that in a second. So something that can defile you. So having it be un- unclean would be an acceptable translation. It's kind of interesting that you have that word common or unholy or unclean. I think probably that idea of unclean is a little bit, a little bit uh, gets to the point more so than, than the ESV says with common. <clears throat> and so he says that because he's never eaten these things, he's been forbidden to eat these things, and now he's got this in front of him. So what do you make of his response? <clears throat> yeah, what do you make of his response? Okay. Yeah. So that, I, I think that's I think it's definitely one one sense. I don't know if he, he consciously thought he's being tested, but I think it's like before he does that, right? Um, you know, if you thought of just something again illegal that you have this vision, you'd probably be like, "Whoa, wait, is this right?" Like you know, test. You know, God always says, "Test every spirit um, to make sure that what it is." And so. He needs to then, but then we'll see in a second the way that the way it's kind of filtered and processed. Um, there's a reason for that. Um, so, uh, so perhaps he's being tested, right? Um, because for him, I mean, he's like, like there's no way. I mean, I know what the Old Testament said. I know you know in Leviticus. I know it repeated in Deuteronomy. Like you aren't to eat these things. So why why would I why would I be made to eat these things? Especially if culturally, I, I have been forbidden to eat these things. Yeah. That is bringing him up to uh, understand the New Covenant. Okay. Yes. Yes. Exactly. And that's and that's exactly what what we'll see. Right. That's for the Jews. There's there's a progression. Right. Jesus, I mean, when Jesus taught them, he's like, there's just certain things that you can't handle yet, right? And, I mean, he even, Jesus even spoke to these things, even in his ministry, but he didn't speak to them in a way like, hey, eventually it's going to be okay to eat these things. Um, and uh, I, don't, I always remember it is, um, so, has anybody, who's, has anyone been to Israel? Okay, so, have any of you guys had that experience um, eating around the Jews in Israel. When, when a group uh, that went, um, uh, when I was in seminary, the, the, you know, there was a group of students that always went. I just remember when they came back, one of the teachers was saying they were eating like in a food court. And uh, somebody was eating, uh, you know, like pizza, and somebody was eating a hamburger. And there's certain foods that need to be separated. And so because they were all at these, like, group tables, um, the foods were kind of intermingled because the tables were touching. And as they were eating and talking... Uh, a man came up to them and separated the, the tables and just made it known, like, these things need to be separated and then just walked off. What's that? 
Exactly, exactly. But this was like somebody was eating this food and somebody was eating that food. And because the tables were touching, it was like, you know, so he separated those things. It was like they need to be separate like that. I don't know if any of you guys had had an experience like that or can, can speak to that. Do you have, Tim? Yeah, I'm not there, but uh, over in Alabama, where Toco Hills area is here in Atlanta. Mm-hmm. It's an Orthodox Jewish neighborhood right over around Emory. And uh, the Publix there, so I'm sure the Kroger as well, but I've seen it in the Publix. In the bakery, they have a blue, kind of a teal line right down the middle, and you got the kosher side of the bakery and the Gentile side. Okay. They've got their own ovens, their own utensils, and they can't go back and forth. Okay. And uh, same thing back in the meat market. They've got all the kosher food in a plexiglass case so the fumes don't even get on them. Okay. And Publix actually employs a rabbi for each one of those departments to oversee everything. Okay. So when I was there, I asked to see the rabbi, and and um, he came out, and he had this book, I kid you not, five inches thick of the law. Huh. And so I saw this Orthodox Jewish lady in the produce department pick up an apple and put it back down, and I said, well, if she's in her menstrual cycle, then that apple's unclean, and that orthodox guy behind her, if he touches it, then he's unclean. And as I started pointing stuff out like that to him, he he said, well, we've got provisions for those. I said, oh, okay, so <laughs> then you're, why have that book, you know, if that's the case? Mm-hmm. I mean, it just went on and on like that, you know, talking with him, but then... Did you ask him where they sacrificed them? Yeah. The person that, that I knew that worked there told me that when the rabbi's not around, yeah. stuff crosses back and forth. Anyway, so, yeah. <laughs> Just like when the boss is not around, some things happen. So, um, yeah, so you see that kind of level. Uh, did you have, Zach, did you have something or any, any particular situation? Or? Just like a similar thing. Similar thing. Yeah, because or the meat can can yeah. tie the pork, right? It's yeah. So frustrating too, because like you read the Bible, and it's like, okay, I can't boil a, a goat in its mother's milk, but why not have pizza? Like that has nothing to do with the goat in its mother's milk. Right. right. That's like the whole. Right. That's actually like the very end of that Deuteronomy section. It's like, don't eat this, don't eat this, yeah, don't boil the goat. Yeah. But, but that's like where it all starts. Um. So you get these, you know, you get these provisions, right? And but you don't know like the quite the application. And you know, God's like laying out the law, and for them, when they first got the law, they don't quite understand like what the purpose is. It's just like don't do this, do this. And so a lot of them start to kind of form these like rules and regulations that compound and make sure that they don't cross the line. And that's usually where you get like the Pharisees, you know, and all the things that Jesus had to battle. Um that's where you get the five-inch book, right? Yeah, so to, to, for the regulations. Um, you know, so for any of us, um, I mean, anybody grow up in like maybe, a, you know, you'd say either a legalistic household or a legalistic church um, where there are certain things that like you just, you know, were told not to do and you kind of had a tough time. Right, yeah, so. 
It depended on what church you went to. And what yeah, the, that's, yeah, so. that's where I started to question the, the Catholic faith because we had two brothers come up from, I believe it was Bolivia, and this is way back in the, in the 50s, late 50s, and uh, talking with them, they were coming to Catholic school. They were Catholic. Okay. But if they could get meat in Bolivia on a Friday, they could eat it. So okay. But if I ate it on a Friday, it was a mortal sin. If I died, I went to hell. But if they ate it, they, they were okay, you know. Right. So it was questionable. To me. You didn't want to move to <laughs> <laughs> I remember one time, Catholic as well, riding with my dad, and there, it was Friday. There was a Slim Jim on the dashboard. <laughs> and man, I said, Dad, can I eat that? I'm really hungry. No, you know, you can't eat that. It's Friday. And we stopped at a store, and he went in, most likely, to get beer. <laughs> And he was okay. He he would have gone to heaven, but you would not have because of Slim Jim. So you know, anyway. yeah. My mom grew up Dutch Reformed, and they would never go out or watch TV on Sunday. Okay, okay. Um, Anytime our conscience isn't informed by the Word, yeah, we're going to have rules that we have to follow. Right. Yeah. We have rules. Yeah. Because apart from the word, our life is uninformed. And we always have those hang-ups, you know. So, so especially when we get to a place that speaks of the conscience. And this is really like a conscious issue for, for Peter. He's like, I can't do this. Like, I can't, can't, can't eat these things. And, and we'll, we'll touch back on them uh, throughout, <clears throat> throughout Acts because we're going to see the two major things by, by the time we get to the end of this. Uh, which are a hang-up for Jews. But this is the first thing, is, is food. This is the first instance, well, it's not necessarily the first instance, it's the first instance that we actually see, like, God say, it's, it's okay to eat these things that you see as unclean. Um, exactly, exactly. Yeah, and that's, you know, that's exactly what we see that happens next, because uh, he's still pondering, you know, what, what's with the vision, God? I know I was hungry, but that kind of turned me off. Um, but what did Jesus say about eating food and being clean or unclean? <clears throat> so, again, you remember, like I said, just, you know, Jesus didn't quite, like, come out. You know, he, he spoke um, very purposeful and uh, in certain ways. Because if he, started, if he started teaching these things, like, you know, trust me, there's going to be a time when you're going to eat all of these unclean things. He kind of said that to the, you remember the Samaritan woman, you know, there's going to be a time that people will worship in different places. But if he was like, you know, there's times that we're all going to eat together and, you know, all these things, like, it would have just been like, wall up, nope, I don't want to hear what you're saying. Like, there's, there's no way. I can, go to, I can go to the verse and tell, show you. We can go back to Leviticus and show you where God says these things are uh, forbidden. They make you unclean. But in Mark uh, chapter 7, we read uh, in verse 14... Where Jesus says, uh, he called, or sorry, he called the people to him again and said to them, Hear me, all of you, and understand. There is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. Right? So Jesus like clearly says, but his focus is on what comes out of a person and how you determine whether something is unclean or not. But he does say, nothing that goes inside you can make you unclean. 
Which, you know, if he was in, somebody asked the question, like, well, what about, you know, all the things are forbidden? But the people's focus was not even on that. And so when he entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him, and they said, then, uh, he said to them, then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him? So sin enters not his heart, but his stomach, and is expelled. Thus he declared all foods unclean. Usually, typically that's in the parentheses, right, if, in, in your scripture. Uh, looking back, Mark was saying, like, he was saying that back then, right? He was declaring all foods clean. And he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual morality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness. Verse 23, all these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. Um, and so, the whole idea about what to eat and what not to eat was supposed to, again, distinguish them between, uh, outside of the, um, the outside nations. When they, you know, and, and Jesus, sorry, and God is giving them these uh, laws as they are going into the promised land, right? They're still wandering in the desert. When you go into the promised land, you're going to have all these things you're going to face, but you need to have these guardrails up because you're going into um, into something that, frankly, is going you're not going to be prepared for. And so I need to prepare you now by what you eat and what you do and by the laws that you keep and all of these things. So when you go in there, you are distinct from the people. What was the biggest temptation that you know God uh, warned them about? Like he didn't say when you go into these nations, you're going to be tempted to eat you know rock badger or vulture or anything like that. That came along with it, but what, exactly marriage within, and really, what did that allude to? Idol worship. It was really a thing like, you know, if you marry this person, I mean, you may think that you're going to convert them over, but really, the idea is that you're probably going to be moved to worship them, and that is a much more dangerous ground to be in. It's be aware that when you go in here, you're going. So I need you to be different from everyone else, distinct from everyone else, as you go into there, so you are ready to face this situation. It's not until Isaiah speaks about what really, um, he kind of spoke about it to Abraham in the Abrahamic covenant, like you're going to be, you know, you're going to bless all of the nations through your seed. But when Isaiah speaks about what Israel's role is, is that they are to be a light to the outside nations, to draw people in to them um, for the benefit of those that are outside of God's plan of salvation. But Jesus spoke about these things. He says not what, and that word defile that he says is that word unholy or unclean or common, that koinos that Peter speaks, speaks about. So going back, right, um, you know, it's, it's this, this voice is, uh, from heaven is saying that I don't want you to think that these foods make a person unclean. In fact, it's, you know, it's all about obedience. And so now, as we're ready to kind of expand, because when Jesus came, did he come for the Gentiles? Now, he clearly said he came for his own people. And there's examples, you know, there's the Gentile woman who is, uh, you know, said, I, you know, at least even the... He's like, yeah, even the dogs are, are, can get the scraps. And he's like, wow, well, this woman of faith. And there were, there were certain people that he saved that had faith that exemplified for the Gentiles. He's like, largely, I'm not here for you. It wasn't until he left that he said, now, I want you to go out. And I want you to go reach the people in Judea and Samaria, right? And Samaria was kind of a step. 
because the Samaritans weren't looked at as full Jews, although they would have been more accepted. And the next step is now, I want you to go to the Gentiles. And for, for most Jews, that would have been like, whoa. Like, we, they can't go worship in our temple. Like, there's a forbidden place. Like, they can't go into those areas. We can't eat with them. We can't, you know. Um, and there's plenty of examples where they had, they, you know, like when they tried to try uh, Jesus, they, they had to, um, they couldn't go to different areas because, um, uh, they didn't want to be unclean, and it was around the Passover. And so we saw all these things that influenced um, Jewish decision on a day-to-day life. So how many times did, did, did Peter have to like respond to this, this vision? Yeah, so you know, we don't see it repeated, but it says three times, right? I had to, I had to kind of um, impress upon Peter you know, what it is that I want him to understand. And so Jesus, you know, when he kind of uh, um, received Peter back after his resurrection, you know, he had to kind of plead with Peter three times. It was three denials, right, that Peter had to do before he realized, whoa, I'm denying Jesus, right? So Peter takes him a little bit before he gets, gets the idea. But he's like, all right, I, get, I, I, I hear what you're saying. I don't know why, because, um, uh, what does it say, in verse... Uh, 17, it says, Now while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the ver- vision that he had seen might mean, right? he's like, what was that all about? <laughs> he's like, all right, I get it, I get it. Okay, I can eat these things. I mean, luckily, they're preparing lunch downstairs that won't have any of these things, I presume. But he's like, I wonder what that was, what, what that was all about. Um, but we know right, that God is just slowly breaking down some of the barriers that people have for reaching those um, with the gospel, because we don't we don't see so far that it's gone outside of Israel. The God, and, and it won't go outside of Israel, but it will go to those that are inside of Israel that are looked at as outsiders. So continuing, continue that. Um, while he's kind of thinking about these things, behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate. And called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter was pondering the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. And Peter went down to the men and said, I am the one you're looking for. What is the reason for your coming? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man who is well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and to hear what you have to say. So he invited them in to be his guests. Right? So he's you know, inviting these men in, which are servants of Cornelius. You know, they prepared a Jewish meal. Um, they're Gentiles, presumably. We don't know their background, but presumably they might be Gentiles that are invited in as well, although Cornelius could have sent perhaps Jewish servants so we don't know that. But Peter invites them in and, uh, to, to have a meal with him. And so we see, though, in all these events, like how is God coordinating this meeting? Ultimately, he wants Peter to see Cornelius. And so what do we, what do we see? We see an, an angel go to Cornelius and tell him exactly what I want you to do and where I want you, know, you to go. During that time, Peter is having this vision because if, if uh, you know, 
if these men came and just said, hey, we want you to come up to see this centurion, without this vision... True, true, right. Yeah, they, they wouldn't have eaten with the Gentiles um, because of them being unclean. And it depended on the time of you know, ceremony and things like that, um, whether they pressed that point even more. But typically, yeah, they didn't, they didn't even eat, eat with Gentiles. Uh, you see Peter criticized for that, interestingly, in Galatians, right? When, when Paul said that, you know, when these men of the circumcision party came up Peter withdrew from eating with the brothers, and Paul had to be like, "What's the deal, man? You know, you can't eat with." What's that? It's just Peter. Yeah, it's all all the way through. I know. So bold at sometimes, and other times, like, "Oh yeah, you're right. You're right." Um, So, um, so we see. So we see at that time, you know, when the men come down, right? You know, if, if they said, "Hey, my master wants you to come to see him up in Caesarea," he might have felt compelled, you know, to stay where he was at, you know, ministering to the saints. <clears throat> Why should I go to this Gentile? Right, but God, working in the same way, kind of gave him this vision, and all of a sudden, dots are connecting for Peter, and he's like, let's go, right? He doesn't even hesitate. Um, they, they leave the next day. It says, uh, the next verse, the next day he arose and went away with them, and some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. And on the following day, they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them, and he called together his relatives and close friends. Um, when Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up, saying, Stand up, I too am a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many persons gathered. And he said to them, You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. Right, so there's kind of like that. You you know, if you asked me before, like I wouldn't be coming. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked then why you sent for me. Right. So Peter goes up, and other disciples go with him. Um, You know, so again, he's kind of has an entourage to come with him, and we're going to see maybe some of the reasons for that. That that's also beneficial. Uh, he leaves sometime the following day and arrives the next day. So, hoofs it back up, maybe going a little bit slower uh, on the way back up. And when he sees Cornelius and comes in, what, how did Cornelius respond? At first, Cornelius gathers all his friends and family. Like, hey, this, this Peter guy's coming. I want you guys all to be here when he arrives. So, we know Cornelius is like ready for, for, for this. Um, how did he respond? Looks like he's the issue or something. Okay. Yeah. Now, Cornelius, what, what was his job again? Yeah. So it typically, he wouldn't be the one that bowed down before anybody. It would have typically been the other way, right, to kind of uh, show that kind of hierarchy of status. But he understands that this is, like, he has a vision from God, and this man is coming directly from God as a representative of God. He humbles himself before all his friends and family and and... Uh, you know, worships down before him. He just kind of is overcome. There's uh, several verses in Revelation where you see John um, before an angel is a couple different places where he like falls down to worship him and the angel's like, whoa, no, I'm just, you know, stand up. Uh, not me. And he's like, oh, I'm sorry. Um, same thing with, uh, with Paul. He's in, in some different areas and people bow down to worship and he's like, listen, don't worship me. You're worshiping the, the wrong person. So he says, stand up. You know, I'm, I'm just here 
you know, I'm just here too, like as obedient to what God has called me to do. And Peter says, you know, it was unlawful for a Jew to associate with somebody from another nation. Unlawful, that word unlawful is actually means forbidden or not allowed. And he's referring to, again, what's that? The law, right? Um, to not associate with somebody from another nation. But was that true? Yeah. And it and there's also a misapplication where, you know, when their first interaction with those from the outside, they were they were they were to be in a, a role of conquering, right? So they were supposed to um, wipe out all of the Gentiles that were in the promised land and possess that nation, but that wasn't like their recourse for every interaction for those that are on the outside. Um, one, they weren't in a position of power to do so. But we know that God, like that, that was just for that time. And so a lot of those laws were not only for as they were entering in, but also to make them distinct from the outside nations to draw people in to them, right? They were supposed to be a light. They weren't supposed to intermarry, but because of that idea about idol worship, but they were supposed to be attractive and pull people in. There was also things, um, and I guess uh, maybe it was in Deuteronomy, uh, or I skipped it in Leviticus, but where it says, uh, these are things that are forbidden to eat, but you may give these things to a sojourner. So, you know, if there was an animal that you, I guess, that you had killed, or you, you could give some of those animals to a sojourner for them to eat, it was okay. So... Again, that was that distinction, knowing like the Jews, we don't eat this, but it's okay to, to give it to somebody um, who it's not forbidden for them to eat. So God understood those things and that there would be interactions with foreigners and outside nations. They weren't supposed to put up walls and keep people out. Um, they were supposed to draw people in. And so Peter is starting to kind of make these connections, right, that he sees this food and that would have been a tangible thing that every day can't eat. If you ever was in, you know, with Gentiles, there would have been separate separation of food. Again, we see this today um, in Israel, or in, I guess even in uh, the publics and wherever Tim was talking about, right? In different areas where they try to make things distinct. But God is saying, you know, by saying this food is unclean, you're also saying these people are unclean because they eat these foods. And that really wasn't what God's dis- you know, purpose was. His purpose was If you eat these foods, you become unclean because you are now being disobedient to what I ask of you at this time. But now I ask of you at this time to reach these people for the sake of the gospel. So what was it that Peter was really using to kind of consider whether somebody was acceptable or not? How how was he judging others? Based on what? Was it based on what they ate? What was it based on? What's that? Well, that would be a tangible, real reason about how you knew if somebody was a Gentile or not. You could see like where they went, what, what foods they ate, and you're like, you know. But really, they, they would have known from culturally or their background. Now, Cornelius, it says he was a God-fearing man, and all the descriptions that we talked about likely indicated that he followed Jewish law because he was respected by all the Jews. 
So it's possible that even Cornelius himself didn't eat, you know, ate a diet that was consistent with uh, something that would have been respected and admired by the Jews, that he would have, you know, he gave alms to the poor, he prayed continually to God, it says he was God-fearing. Again, we don't know the implications, but a lot of that language uh, leads, you know, descriptively, commentators say that he likely followed Old Testament law, he just didn't go the full uh to become a Jewish proselyte, he would have had to become circumcised. He probably didn't go to that final measure. And so would have been looked at as still a Gentile for that reason. And we'll talk about it. We'll have to get to that uh, next week. But Peter, as he is saying, like whether someone's acceptable or not, is really still based on background. You know, whether, where they live, who they are, and who he reached, who he, who he preached to, um, would have been limited to those whom he felt like he could have become in contact with. But God is now saying, you know what? All those distinctions now, I want you to put to the side, and I want you to go reach them for the sake of the gospel. So there's a little bit more that I was going to finish up, but I knew there was a lot to, lot to tackle. So we'll have to pick that up next week and kind of put, put a pause in here. But that kind of first part right here is, is food is such a big part of our daily life. Um, right, we eat it three times a day, and sometimes more. Um, that uh, what we eat and how we eat—if it's part of like you know uh, choices that we make—and and people still even do this now, right? They base their life on their diets um, and even make choices in who they interact with. But we do this with a whole lot of things. Um, God sometimes kind of breaks through to us and says, "You know what? Maybe some of the things you judge other people on, um, you need to rethink that." Uh, because they're, you're actually using them, you're keeping a wall up, while it's maybe keeping you protected, it's also keeping you from reaching out to those people that need to hear the gospel. And so Peter's starting to see this, he's starting to hear this, and he's going to then pick this up and then tell the others that this is what God is doing. So we'll continue this a little bit next week. Is there any, uh, I don't know, follow comments or before we wrap it up? I think sometimes... All the do's and don'ts. I mean, they had, the Jews got the Ten Commandments, the Old Testament, but they got this. They just piled on the do's and the don'ts that God piled onto them. And it was like, man, I have trouble with the Ten Commandments today. And they have the Ten Commandments plus. It, it was impossible to me. God placed all of this on them, knowing it's impossible for them to keep up. Yeah, but we also understand that if we took an inventory of our own lives, we have our own do's and don'ts. And some of our do's and don'ts, you know, are like, I don't know why I have this do and don't. I just feel like it's good for me. And sometimes it is individual, right? It's good for me. But is, it, is what's good for me good for you? And that's where, you know, we get into all these other issues that kind of become moral issues and even division within the church and, and other areas, um, which is, is why we see it's good that, you know, God breaks down these barriers um, for his sake and for his glory. So...